know I keep throwing shit on my floor. Why? I don't know. It's like a statement, but it's annoying because later I have to pick it all up. Every time I say something that I think is like, should have like an exclamation at the end of it, I just grab something like this coaster and I just throw it in the air. Dude, <laughs> <laughs> if you could see my floor right now, you would see that it's just oh. littered with whatever was nearby. I should, I'm going to mail you like a whole bunch of like, you remember those bouncy balls as kids? Yeah. Oh, yes. I love those. And you just, you want to whip them around the house so bad, but you know, you're going to break something and your parents are going to kick your ass. I'm going to get you a whole, I'm just going to like mill them and I'm, you can just open and just let them fly everywhere. I don't want this to stop you from sending these to me because I desperately want them now that you've promised them. But I just want you to know that yes. I had an actually visceral reaction when you started talking about it because I felt one. Like I felt that as soon as I hit one, it's going to hit me back in the head, hit one. As soon as I throw one, it's going to hit me in the head. It's going to come back. Oh yeah. Guaranteed. Would you rather one of those, um, they were like sticky, you know, like they were kind of like slimy. They were a hand and it was like on a little string no. thing and you would go and you would hit it on. No, no, I, no, I want little rubber balls to throw everywhere. Okay. Noted. The problem with the sticky hand is it gets covered in lint and then it gets kind of dog hair and then you would drop it in the dirt as a kid and yeah it was gross see again i just reacted i felt nauseous oh, <laughs> that's not good this is disgusting did i show you my nails look how nice my nails are they're gorgeous did someone do them for you illegally no i did them did that. what yep i love it I asked Jesse to get me a UV lamp for Christmas and I bought everything online and now I do my own nails. I love it. I love it. I love it. I just watched Shirley Jackson's, it's not hers. Let me rephrase that. I just watched a show on Netflix that's based on a book about Shirley Jackson, but it's like sort of fictional. Like uh -huh. it's, it's, it's based on some actual events, but there's totally fictional characters that are like main characters in this movie and fictional scenarios. And it was really well done, but I feel extremely conflicted because she's one of my top favorite, like four authors in the whole world. And she's also not alive to defend herself because she died when she was like 48. Okay. And she was a brilliant writer and her husband was a piece of flat out garbage and they really portrayed her to be like kind of a crazy creepy witch and I don't know if it's true like maybe she was but considering her real life situation like I think that would make anyone angry and weird a little bit and like and it, it's Elizabeth Moss who who plays her and she just plays her like this really kind of mentally deranged oh yes okay we saw the preview I love her but the thing is that she she just made Shirley like in real life I know that she was like also really funny and vibrant and playful and she didn't really play her she played her as like witty sarcastic funny but not like mm playful funny and so it was hard for me because she was portraying like one of my absolute all-time favorite authors so I 
could appreciate that the acting was phenomenal and that the writing was really good, but there was this part of me that felt very defensive and wanted to like be Shirley's champion at the same time. So <laughs> it was weird. I don't know if you've read, have you read Life Among the Savages? No. Oh, it's fucking brilliant. It's brilliant. So yeah, I was having a bit of a hard time because I was like, this is a really great movie. I just wish it was about someone else. Like, <laughs> I just wish they weren't being mean to my gal. I just gave up on a book. It's for book club too, which probably isn't good, but nope. It's like this bestseller and it's supposed to be a thriller, but I'm like 80 pages in and it's, it's, I forced myself to read 80 pages. Oh my God. Just sentences are so short. It's like, so then she turned around period. You know, it's like no flow whatsoever. And she's over describing everything. And I'm just like, this is no. So I figured life is too short to read crappy books. Or maybe not crappy, maybe bleh. So uh, we have L Stanger on for a guest today who's an anti-FOSTA activist, a writer, sex worker, and sex educator, and podcaster. Uh, her podcast was Strange Bedfellows. And she is an amazing woman and so fun to talk to. Yes. And you guys are going to love it. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hi, Jen and Megan. Is it Jennifer or Jen you prefer? Doesn't matter. Either one's fine. Okay. Hello. Happy Saturday. Glad to see you both. Yes. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Do you say, so you're both burlesque performers? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I like the overlap between, well, I liked it when it existed, but nothing happens anymore, but um, the overlap between burlesque and strippers because they have like the same origin like strippers came from burlesque did you know that yeah okay. yeah you're already ruining comedy you're ruining my first question already ah! okay <laughs> I stop now <laughs> um no don't stop don't stop okay okay you made a comment about uh the commonality between stripping and burlesque mm-hmm. performing, dancing. And I think, well, I've mentioned this a couple of times probably on this podcast, but I talked about it a lot because I started performing uh, in burlesque shows in 2003. And when I first started, I really went from like zero knowledge to the stage. Someone asked me as a favor, can you come and be in the show? You just have to sing. You don't have to take your clothes off. You could just sing. And I was like, yeah, sure. Sounds fun. So I bought some cute outfits and I got on stage and I sang and it was a really great experience. Mm-hmm. And then they invited me to go on tour with them, which I did. And that was lovely. And I really went in with this sort of purist attitude of like burlesque isn't stripping. It's like, you know, the art of strip tease and it's you know, there's political satire and there's, you know, there's, it's the thinking man stripping or woman <laughs> stripping, or it's like a feminist approach to whatever. We're embracing our sexuality, but we're doing it in a self-respect. It doesn't matter. My description of it changed mm. and evolved over time. Awesome. And then once I actually got home from being on the road, basically, and started actually doing some research, (laughs) (laughs) found myself eating my words a tiny bit and having to backpedal. And, um, and it's fun because then when I met younger, newer burlesque performers who would start saying that I could say, actually, the reason why they didn't take all their clothes off is because when they did, they were arrested. Not because they were so classy and so self-respecting that they wouldn't dare take all of their clothes off. So (laughs) um, basically it was the stripping of the day and uh, it is stripping. It's just in a different 
you know, way. I won't say it's the same scene or that there's the same culture about it. I don't know because I haven't been an actual stripper, although I do have friends who um, strip in clubs and also are burlesque performers. Mm-hmm. And um, me too. I think what was most interesting for me was having to relook at what my opinion of what a stripper actually even was. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean the part of the theatrics and the, and the, you know, parody or versus just blatant sexuality. I mean, actually like my point of view of whether or not this was a sort of self-degrading act, which is for sure what I would have thought when I was younger. So I, I know that people probably ask you this often, but um, do you feel like there's a big disconnect between like what people are perceiving is what's happening on this on the stage and behind stage and what's actually happening in reality. Mm-hmm. So there are many variables um, as to what can put people at risk for exploitation or being taken advantage of or being able to feel empowered. You know, we have a bunch of different intersections of say poverty. So, or disability or illness or homelessness, um, immigration status, racial status. So first we have to ask ourselves, what does exploitation look like across the board, no matter what you're doing? And then how are people kind of forced to make the best choices for themselves in those circumstances? And so if you are If you are like me in the city of Portland, where I look like tattooed Barbie, um, I am straight bodied, which is another way of saying slender when we're being like fat aware. Um, I am, I have big boobs that I had, you know, surgically put in. Like I, I don't have a lot of trouble getting hired at a lot of different clubs because I fit their beauty standard. Um, If I went to like New York, a lot of places apparently have been told wouldn't hire me because I have too many tattoos and it's like a class issue where I look too trashy. So that's interesting. Um, However, in poorer cultures, I've noticed a lot of people who um, have like been in the system um, or like struggle with intergenerational poverty, if they've been in jail or prison, they'll be like, whoa, you have a lot of ink because in their mind, they're like, that costs a lot of money. So there's different ways that people will perceive people no matter what, but yes, as a stripper and probably as a burlesque performer to a different degree, certainly a lesser degree, but you've probably encountered people who liked you well enough until you told them what you did for a living or fun. And then they automatically, their perception changed based on whatever variables, you know, was whatever's going on in their background, what they've been raised to believe. Exploitation, by the way, my definition is when the worker loses the ability to consent to the work they're doing, they lose safety. So maybe some factors are introduced that they didn't agree to or know about, whether it's like, hey, there's going to be forklifts all over this warehouse where you're working, you know, try to avoid them or something like that. What? Or like, hey, you're going to do this private party, but there's actually going to be twice as many men there and you don't have enough security. What? Um, when you lose money for labor performed. So when your boss lies to you and doesn't give you the bonus he said he would, or when your client doesn't pay you the way they said they would, that is exploitation. You can apply that anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, the link between stripping and burlesque, I don't know a lot of history about stripping and there's been, it's been hard for me to find it. Um, I know that burlesque dancers, and when we think of westward expansion in American history, The Old West and California 
some historians have stated only became so successful monetarily um, because single women moved westward because they saw an opportunity to leave their families, start new lives, and make money working sex or dancing or working in bars as entertainers of all types for the men who had no women around. So <laughs> they were capitalizing on their sexuality and also on their very um, marginalized status as women. Because I just learned, thank you, uh, Instagram, that women in America couldn't apply for their own checking account until 1975. Um, without the permission of their husband or their father or some other guardian. So society pits women and all kinds of people in different intersections and backgrounds against each other in different ways. Um, yeah, but yeah, definitely there's people who, you know, have talked to me where I immediately can tell that they're, they're seeing me as a archetype of like the whore and they have all kinds of ideas and stories about what my life must look like. <laughs> I like that you just mentioned that about in the 70s, for example, and also about how women had the opportunity to sort of um, use that to their advantage. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm stating the obvious, but we as women have been taught forever and generations and generations of women have been raised to believe on whatever level what some blatantly told to their face and then others is just implied but that basically the majority of their value is based on how desirable mm -hmm. they are so i'm 50 years old so we are talking about it in relation to age as well how interesting mm -hmm. it is that you're when you're not fertile yet you're sort of being primed for when you are like you're already mm. being told you're pretty and look how cute you are. And aren't you beautiful little princess? And then you become fertile. Yay. You're finally a woman. Everyone in the world apparently has been waiting for this moment for you to become a woman for all of us. Oh, do you remember when the Olsen twins turned 18 and people yes. were like, oh my God, they're fuckable now. It's like, they're not going to fuck you. <laughs> exactly. And also really was the whole world waiting for this moment together. Like a united, I don't know what that was. That was mm -hmm. marked on the calendar. <laughs> Like, mm -hmm. hey, it's here the time has arrived mm -hmm. so anyway then we become these useful you know entities because our yes our womanhood has opened up apparently to the entire world and then as you reach a point in your life where you're not useful that way anymore um you are perceived as like an old crone but like not in a good way <laughs> we just said the same word because we know about that archetype too exactly mm -hmm. but and even in and thank you so much like whatever makeup company or hair dye whoever it was I don't know who was like no old women are beautiful too look at this fox like thank you so much for having gray-haired women who barely have any wrinkles who are still totally photoshopped and are so sexual still mm -hmm. like look this 65 year old woman is still sexy and beautiful thank you i'm glad everyone is a sexual being um mm -hmm. i used to be an outreach worker for seniors like stis Ooh. run rampant in that community so yes. yes they do have sex but even though you're showing us that this woman a 65 or 75 year old woman is still worthy you're still mm -hmm. saying because she's still sexually desirable you're mm -hmm. that's what you're still saying mm -hmm. so what i what I have struggled with myself in burlesque, and I'm curious about you, mm -hmm. sort of 
like really enjoying being myself and being free with my body and my sexuality on stage and being a source of I don't know, inspiration to other women of all shapes, sizes, and ages to feel more relaxed about their body, to be more in touch with their own sexuality. And like, but also mindful of that line, because I literally am getting paid to do that as well. Mm -hmm. Like being mindful of that line of like, but my actual value is not based on this. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It can be so hard to manage that um, self-worth feeling for myself when my value, my, the money, no, not my value. My value is not determined by the money I can make because again, that's a lie that capitalism like tells us. Yes, all animals, you know, like the early bird gets the worm. Animals need to be productive to sustain themselves and to thrive. Um, but it's hard to consider and I'm starting to consider this and I'm, I'm just 34, but I've noticed in the last few years, clients who are the same age or younger, you know, will inquire about my age and I tell them, and if they're my age or younger, it's kind of freaks them out. They're like, are really, I thought you were 20, you know, whatever. And like, Oh, thank you. It's the makeup and the lighting and like selective fillers that I've had when I can afford them. Um, so it's like interesting that we have this weird concept of what a 27 year old looks like. Cause that's something a coworker stripper of mine at the time she was 27 and a middle-aged man told her she looks really good for being 27. And she said, what do you think a 27 year old looks like? You know, do I just wrinkle up and die when I'm 25? Like, Oh, time for your eggs to stop coming out as, as well. So I'm having this weird disconnect and I have to manage it. And there's no way that it won't fuck with most people's self-esteem when how much money you can make does relate to how you present and show up in the world. And there's a great piece of advice in this book, Thriving in Sex Work by Lola Davina is her name. And she was primarily a stripper, but she's gotten consulting from other sex workers as she wrote the book. Um, But she said, you don't have to be the prettiest stripper there or whoever. You don't have to be the prettiest woman. You just have to be pretty enough. And then you can make your clients feel good about themselves because that's ultimately what they're there for. Mm -hmm. So I try not to obsess too much over the little things and like, is my outfit perfect? Or like, do I feel like my face is losing elasticity? Because ultimately how I smile and show up is going to make the bigger difference. But it is scary to consider my working longevity when, yeah, culture is telling people all the time that the 20-year-olds, the 21-year-olds are the ones that are the hottest. Everybody's allowed to have their preference within like adult consensual interactions. Um, but it, it, it is changing how I hustle and how I'm going to have to continue to change my hustle appealing to different ages of men or people that have different preferences um, my, my poor boyfriend, he gets really, I think, frustrated for me when I would have like two bad nights at the club and I'd start to think like, am I just not good at this anymore? He's like, nothing has changed between this week and the last, except maybe your attitude when you went in that day, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a really tough line to manage. And it's not something that males or masculine people have to really deal with in the same ways. They still have to deal with um, you know, other types of pressure to fit into certain uh, categories, but wrinkles is not a job stopper for a lot of male entertainers. You know, gray hair is not a job stopper. No, you know it. Right. 
I'm a I'm also a stand-up comedian and when I first started doing Ooh. comedy I in the beginning I was like you know what's really cool about this is that like women can just show up literally in their sweatpants and as long as they're funny they did their job but then I started noticing especially with the older women that they were some of them coming in like full cleavage super tight clothes and mm. doing tons of jokes about their sexuality and I was like they're still doing it <laughs> like no they still feel like it's not enough that they're getting on the stage and being funny and entertaining it's like almost apologizing for just being clever and being like but I'm also really sexual guys don't forget I still have value you know and I, I have commodity like, ah. mm-hmm. yeah yeah interesting I think this ties to um The word paternalism comes up in a lot of ways relating to how we are comfortable or uncomfortable with women being sexual or working sex. And there's the, there's the, uh, not my daughter paternalism that comes into it where we want a woman to be like beguiling and attractive maybe, but not slutty, you know, Mm -hmm. like where is that tightrope? And it's also a, like a care, um, it's a care thing that people claim to have where it's like, well, I'm just trying to protect you. What are you trying to protect me from people treating me the way you're treating me? Stop treating me like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also paternalism comes up when I think about how a lot of females have been used and, and people males too. people have been sold as labor for centuries. Like, since the Chinese and the Romans were trading salt and taxing it, human trafficking and people selling their children um, and people selling their captives is a very, very old story. But it's not that far that parents would arrange a marriage with the dowry and the exchange of the daughter for some goods or the daughter could determine how the families could fuse their assets together. You know, so we've talked about women and their bodies as commodity and use them as such through our own families and our relationships for a very long time. And still do that exact same thing. And not in only in other countries. That's still very much a thing. Purity balls. Purity balls are really big with evangelicals in the last decade. And that's like the daughter is promising her virginity to God and to her father. And then when she gets married, it goes from God to her husband or from the father to your husband. I mean, even just like in high school too, like the, what is it? Three finger rule for the strap. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and don't get too close, you know, and it's always the woman's fault, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you were asking for it. What was she dressed like? What were you you wearing? Exactly. Were you, Mm -hmm. you know, showing too much leg? Was it too much cleavage? Well, what do you expect? Mm -hmm. You know, were you raised, were you raised Mormon? No. No. Okay. I'm only familiar with the three finger rule um, as like with all the Mormon kids I grew up and I went to all my friends' churches, like, because I was an atheist kid. So a lot of them were like, oh, we're going to convert you. Ours is the best. So I just went to a shitload, you know, like the Mexican Catholic church and the Presbyterians and the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons and three finger rule was the only thing I heard that in the Mormons. And then they also have the ring they wear, choose the right CTR. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the dances where your hands have to be on their shoulders, but no closer because you are leaving room for Jesus. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, okay. then still, but then still having, especially in the higher, um, like, you know, high society, still having the debutante, but like still basically dads, not just in the religious, but even just in upper class society. Southern. 
you know, we were making jokes at the beginning saying like, oh, haha, everyone was waiting for Mary Kate and Ashley to come to be of age, but people literally still parade their daughters in front of in front of eligible bachelors and go they're ripe like here they are mm-hmm. look yeah. at my hot daughter yeah. did you watch the new borat movie yes no. okay one of you did okay they crash they they go to a debutante ball basically and that's on full display i forgot that was a thing i did but i didn't i pushed it out of my mind and then i saw it again i was like oh my god this is some other century shit i know i was like trying to think of what movie it was like when you said debutante and i was like and then when you said borat movie i was like ah yes mm-hmm. that's it's still a thing we're just conditioned there's so many things we could talk about that for hours but there's so mm-hmm. many things we're conditioned to that we see so much that it doesn't even occur to us that to think about wait a minute what is this exactly oh mm-hmm. yeah they're auctioning off their daughters that's nice mm-hmm. Oh, you said, uh, you brought up earlier um, horophobia that you just wanted to touch on it. I have a definition for horophobia since this is so much of what we're talking about, if you want to hear it. Yeah. So horophobia is the disgust or derision of sex workers or their labor. So that can be acting like a whore, dressing like a whore, you know, whatever that looks like. She's- exactly. What does that look like? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. I've been standing in a bank line where someone was talking to their friend and they said something about so-and-so dressing like a stripper. And I just turned around like, I'm a stripper. What do I look like? (laughs) I'm like a painfully shy, anxious person that's still working out of it. So when I feel like bending the edges, it's usually when someone's like pissed me off and I'm like, I have enough adrenaline to be confrontational. Let's do this. But for ethics, (laughs) let's see if we can teach somebody something. Anyway. Have you guys watched the uh, the cartoon uh, Big Mouth on Netflix? I haven't watched it. Oh, it's so good. And it really? just like brings back everything. Like my husband and I would be watching it. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's what it was 12 years old. Oh, yeah, that's it. Like the, really? the, the one that um, really hit home was um, like getting your first bra. And then, you know, you get the bright color one. And you just let the strap show just a little bit. And you're just like, yeah, you see that? Hey. Yeah, hey. And then you start getting the attention. And then it's like, oh, the slut of the school and everything. And it, mm-hmm. no, it's a really good mm-hmm. show where it just really puts everything out. And you're like, oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> yep. Okay. I'm going to write that down. I'll remember that because yeah. I could use a little time travel blast from the past. <laughs> Let's open all the old wounds. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, that reminds me when I was 13. I don't know how it happened, but suddenly everyone in in my junior high school was talking about me behind my back and talking about what a slut I was. And then I wasn't wasn't even a virgin anymore, which I I was. I didn't, I don't, these were totally unfounded. And for a second, I was like, (gasps) like, why? Why are people, what what did I do? But then I was like, wait, hang on. (laughs) People were like, she's, she's experienced. And I was like, and then I just milked it I don't even know why I really wish I could like tap back into whatever I was going through because I just milked I just started walking around I was like pinching myself trying to get like kind of maybe a so I could just walk around like yeah I'm so experienced like and then your head you're like what am I supposed to be experienced about yeah and then a guy tried to talk to me and I was like oh god I don't even know what to do like what if he actually expects me to be experienced whatever that means I think you were um unaware but like trying to tap into the very real power that that offers which is why some of us lean into it you know like you can hustle your femininity and your perceived fertility and commodity or whatever and again like to empowerment 
what does empowerment mean? Like considering the circumstances. So yeah, a lot of gray areas. I, I think that's, I think that's fabulous. I see I women that can work it better than me. And I'm like, good for you leaning into your like femme Barbie. I'm not a good sugar baby. I'm not good at being like, look how beguiling and helpless I am. Please give me money or something. <laughs> I think part of it was them just thinking I was more of a woman than I even knew what that meant yet. And also mm-hmm. I, I they for sure, I think, I think you're right. I think there, it felt like there was some kind of power in the fact that they were all talking about me as though I had something that they didn't have. Mm-hmm. So even if it wasn't necessarily a desirable thing, it was obviously mysterious enough that they all wanted to talk about it. So it kind of felt good to like walk around and pretend that I knew what it was about, even though I didn't have a clue. I love that. I'm going to be thinking about this for a while. What's to that, you know? to that. Yeah. So you said something earlier that I think beautifully answers the question that I don't remember what it was that I asked you. You, but I was. Well, I just, I started out by saying that I myself have struggled with that feeling very much like my value is not in whether or not I am sexually desirable to other people. Yet as a burlesque performer, I'm getting up on stage and being paid to essentially be desirable to the people in the audience in one way or another. And you said something about how your actual worth, your, your own personal worth has nothing to do with how much money I could make. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Beautiful. I love that you said that. That was good. I love that. Yeah. Everyone, everybody like remember that because it's really easy to make people feel bad for being poor when nobody who makes minimum wage is earning a living wage, you know? So there's definitely that other thing too, where people, I think the uh, like flaunting, like name brand, like clothing or makeup and stuff, it's a way to say like, look how much commodity I have. And that can make a lot of people feel really bad. And that can also make a lot of people broke trying to pursue that lifestyle, thinking that they have to prove their value by showing that they can afford expensive shit when really the economy is fucked. So we need to be like buying groceries and trying to get our teeth cleaned every year or so if we can Mm -hmm. think about longevity. So yeah, a lot of classism and um, fashion stuff, like really, I have found stressful trying to fit in over the years. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people do. Um, Yeah, especially with social media, like the the whole mm -hmm. Instagram model thing. And Mm -hmm. yeah, Mm -hmm. I think it puts, I mean, I think as women, we just put on too much pressure on ourselves and then we're our own worst enemy too like woman to woman too I mean I don't you know I've never heard a guy bash a guy for looking better you know being more muscular or something you know and it's just like oh look at her with her small waist and her tight pants <laughs> How dare it's, she. Like, it's such a double standard you know and it's mm-hmm. like I was thinking about you know when you wonder oh, why did she get into stripping? Oh, well, she's trying to put herself through college, you know? But does anybody ask that about male strippers? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just like, like you said, Jen, like, you know, the Hollywood, you know, package of what a stripper should be and what her backstory is. And it's, mm-hmm. Or that yeah. she has to have a backstory. I think that's my issue is that she has to have a backstory in the first place. Like it, she, there, there's a reason. Well, yeah, yeah, there's a reason why you're a doctor too. We all have mm-hmm. our backstory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it doesn't have to be trauma induced. I like taking a photo of people, men doing really dangerous jobs. Um, 
like climbing on a high high rise or telephone pole and they're strapped in and they're working and not like not people's faces. I don't do that, but I'll take a little snap of someone doing this obviously dangerous work job. And I'll say like, does anyone ever ask him if he feels empowered? (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, why do we have to justify the shit we do? We all need money. (laughs) Or he gets electrocuted and they're like, well, what were you wearing? Yeah. What were you wearing? (laughs) Yeah, that's another point I brought up in writing. If like a firefighter dies while they're working or gets hurt or somebody, you know, gets electrocuted. Yeah, it's like, well, that sucks. That that's a dangerous job. Like, are they okay? But then a sex worker gets assaulted or someone steals from them and people are like, well, that's what you get. I was 16 years old sitting in an investigator's office and he asked me, is that what you were wearing? Ugh. A 16 year old kid. Like, are you insane? First of all, no, that's actually not what I was wearing. But thankfully, I had the wherewithal somehow deep inside me, which I'm sure did not help my case to say, I have the right to walk down the street naked. Mm -hmm. And no one has the right to touch me. Mm-hmm. so who gives a shit if this is what I was wearing mm-hmm. and I'm like yay me when I was 16 thank you mm-hmm. for standing up for yourself but still like holy god like a 16 year old kid on top of it like no woman should be asked that but like it's a that's a child <laughs> like, are you, you familiar talking? with slut walk slut walks yeah. around the world yeah are your listeners familiar with slut walk we don't know all of our listeners, but okay, you know, I can I give a, a brief little. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> Slut Walk was a movement that started in Toronto, Canada, in uh, March 2011, when a constable who was speaking to a small class of mixed gender students made the comment um, that women could avoid being raped if they would stop dressing like sluts. And so the students thought that's not right. They created a movement. It spread. Um, There were international slut walks that year in 2011. And then many cities continued to have them annually. Um, Portland was one. I was brought on as a, I attended the 2011 um, and learned about it when everyone else did. And I was brought on as a co-organizer for the Portland slut walks from, I believe, either 2013 or 2014 until 2019. We had our, our last event last year. And And yeah, that was the whole point of basically your experience. And then again, when you throw other intersections into it, like, well, if you are a person of color or you live in a poor part of town or you're disabled, like maybe people are more likely to prey on you or police to harass you or not help you. Um, So we always tried to include trans speakers, um, elder speakers, speakers of color, and people who fell into many of these categories. Um, male speakers because men have a place in anti-rape culture and sure enough every year there would always be people that would protest our peaceful march educational march um, and they were the hell raising street preachers I think is what they call themselves and they're like far right socially conservative religious extremists one of them one of their members who they disavowed after this happened his name was Jeremy Christian And he became famous when he attacked a couple of Muslim women on a Portland train and some bystanders intervened and saved those women, but then were killed themselves. So the Max train stabbing a couple of years ago by Jeremy Christian, he's going to prison for the rest of his life, but it came as no surprise that someone in the community who a lot of strippers were also familiar with because he would go into the club and be a creep and try to tip them with these crappy little drawings that he made instead of real money um yeah so that was that was one of those things where 
the people that would come to protest the marches were very scary, really hated women, would shout horrible things like you deserve to be raped or get AIDS or whatever. And the reason I started attending um, community meetings with the police was to meet up and and say like hey i'm hosting this event every year for the past few years we pay a thousand dollars in permit fees why can we not get regular walking escorts i know folks aren't fans of the cops especially people that might have been harassed or abused by them but there's people that are driving their cars into the street at different women's events around the world or random shooting violence and we need to have some kind of barrier between these people and our attendees and uh yeah, it was just a nightmare dealing with the city and all of that bureaucracy and, and police stuff anyway. But there's so many ways that we just do not care for these populations of women and girls and people. And it's so apparent. And I've just waded wow. through it. <laughs> this is a, a beautiful segue to my next question because yes. you have a daughter? Yeah, she's eight. Eight. Mm-hmm. So I have three daughters and now they are 25, 26, and 29 years old. And as you can tell, I'm 100% on board with all of this. And I 100% believe all three of my daughters and everyone's daughters should walk the streets naked if they want to without being harassed. That having been said, I'm also a mom who has absolutely admittedly uttered the words, you are not going outside looking like that. There is no way. And not from point of view of, of shaming them, but of knowing they'll be out past dark and being terrified that something's going to happen to them and feeling very conflicted about how I'm saying it, how mm-hmm. it's coming out of my face mm-hmm. for two reasons. One, not mm-hmm. just to not shame them, but also not to instill like horrible amounts of fear in them, but to be like, you should be allowed to wear that without anything horrible happening to you. And I don't, care that you're not ashamed of your body in fact that makes me really happy that you feel so comfortable with yourself but I am a terrified bitch right mm-hmm. now and then mm-hmm. also not wanting to project my my fears on them so it it's been interesting being a very outgoing vocal feminist woman from you know my well female all of my life being a performer, mm-hmm. being out there in front of people all the time, but then having my own daughters interfering <laughs> a little bit with, <laughs> with how I do things. And then mm-hmm. me also having to change a little bit the way I present myself mm-hmm. without going back on my actual values. And I was just wondering in your line of work, in your writing, in your, um, I mean, you're a very public person. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering if since you had a daughter, has any of your perspective shifted or any of sort of the way that you see things changed at all in that way? Yeah. So I have a couple, I can think of one, one lady, but she had her hangups about the work before, but she said after she had a, a child, she couldn't see herself as a stripper anymore. She could only see herself as a mother. Um, and that, um, but also she had a lot of shame about doing the work in general. Um, So I know that it's changed at least that person's perspective to where they couldn't even feel like comfortable being sexual for money publicly. Um, And I've had people ask me, well, what if your daughter wants to be a stripper or do webcam or make porn? And it does not bother me at all because I will be able to hopefully help her and give her some tips or tools and help her navigate so she can do it 
even more smoothly than, you know, I've, I've learned cause I've made mistakes. Right. Um, I think, so I'm, I'm considering putting myself in your shoes right now. And with my older post, you know, pubescent, cause she's prepubescent. So I'm not, I don't have the same concerns right now. She's only eight. You know, I've, I've only learned up until this point, I'm trying to break down your concern and I understand it because I think what I'm hearing is that them dressing in a more sparkly or skin bearing way um, will attract more attention. In an ideal world, it would not. It isn't ideal that they could dress how they want and exist in the world and they would be okay. And that's what you align with. You believe mm-hmm. that. But there is the reality that some people will be more likely to harass someone or say something if they're wearing spaghetti straps compared to a hoodie. However, as all of us, I'm sure, have been harassed or pestered when we we're head to toe in clothing, not a spot of makeup and hair looking like scarecrow, some people will just harass anyone. So it's like a scale of prevention or perceived harm we could experience. And that I think is where the feelings of guilt or shame come up for some people when it's confusing. Like, well, if I'm confused about this, like, am I wrong? You know, am I wrong to feel that it's okay that we should be comfortable in our bodies and dress how we feel good and no one would hurt us? No, it's not wrong. But other people don't think that way and they will use, you know, more bearing skin to justify being crass or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I definitely had a math teacher in high school who um, I was just, I look, I was like dressed in black and like spiky hair and stuff. And and uh, he made a comment once, like, what do your parents think about you looking like that? And, you, you know, that m- the more I reflect on it is highly inappropriate. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, he later, a few years later, and it was only like three or four, um, I was working in a porn shop and that teacher came in and he did not recognize me. I had two years of math with this man. It sucked both times. Um, I had after school tutoring with this man. He did not recognize me, which was fine. Um, he bought a couple of DVDs at the time when people were still really buying DVDs. Um, and they were like barely legal schoolgirl themed. And so that I was like, ha, I knew he was a fucking creep, you know, <laughs> like he shouldn't have been looking at my body in the first place. So it's their issue. Yeah. Um, and I think, I don't know what kind of conversation you would have with your kids, but I'm trying to imagine the one I would have with bird. I call her bird. Um, that's not a real name, but I want to give her some semblance of privacy. Um, but I, I, I'm thinking I might talk with bird and say something like, you know, how you really hate it when strangers say stuff to mommy in the grocery store or yell across the street. Um, they're going to do, people are going to do that to you no matter what, but the way you're dressed right now, I think might attract more attention. Are you prepared to deal with that? Might be something I would say. Yeah, I guess just, and also I mean, I, there was times where I was just concerned about their safety. Like I knew that they would be getting home late, taking a bus, you know, after dark, mm-hmm. like that kind of stuff too. But I guess just sort of trying as much as possible to, you know, protect your daughter from being in a situation where she's vulnerable, mm-hmm. like all the other avenues, <laughs> where, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to, it was just so complicated. You're, it's, it's, you don't want to give your kids the wrong message. You really want to, to, not impose your values on them, but but make sure that they really have a clear understanding of what they are and, and where you're coming from to give them a chance to 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 you know explore those values themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, when I maybe I'm just exposing what a neurotic parent I 
was, which I never <laughs> thought I was until right now, but here it comes. Um, <laughs> and my daughters were three, four, and seven. The two little ones shared a bedroom and that we had a rule. You could stay as long as you are quiet, you can read until whatever time lights out time. But if you are making too much noise, I'm coming to turn the light off and there's no more reading because they used to get super rambunctious when they were reading. I don't know why. So <laughs> we had neighbors, we were in an apartment building, thin walls, whatever. One night, the older of the two was yelling from the bedroom, which they often did. And I was not running to them. She was just like, mom, Chloe's looking at naked people. And I was like, well, they have books. Like, where did I come from? And like, things like, that. So I was like, like where did you get naked people stuff? Yeah. <laughs> Just they, they had like kids books about like, this is, everyone has a bum. I don't know. Anyway, mm -hmm. I was like, Anika, leave her alone. You know, let her read. She's being quiet. And Anika was like, they're, remember what she said, <laughs> something weird. Like they're kissing each other and on the bum or something. And I was like, okay, Annie, leave her alone. Like it's some, like, again, I was just like, stop. She's reading and she's being quiet. Stop. Don't mm -hmm. call me unless there's a real problem. Mm -hmm. I didn't say it like that, but I'm sure I stop <laughs> yeah. harassing your sister. She's reading and she's being yeah. quiet. It's not lights out for 15 more minutes. And then she was like, I can't, I wish I could remember. I actually wrote a short story about it, but it was something alarming. Like she was like very blatant, like his penis is in her mouth. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I went running into the bedroom and my three-year-old daughter was just joyfully and very quietly and calmly perusing a porno magazine <laughs> that uh -huh. I think I had bought because I had there was an object of my aff affection in Toronto and I used to wrap presents in porn and just send it to him to humiliate him because the postman would show up with like oh my god and like so she found it in my desk or something like this 100% my fault but anyway she's sitting there reading reading looking at <laughs> a porno <laughs> magazine and I froze and I was like if I tear it from her hands, mm -hmm. I'm telling her that sex and nudity and whatever they were doing is wrong mm -hmm. and shameful and bad. But you can't let a three-year-old <laughs> like flip through a porno magazine. I was going to say before bed, but honestly, ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst time. It really disrupts their sleep. <laughs> and so I... I just took it slowly and was like, this isn't really appropriate for you can read one of your books. And she started weeping, like unconsolable, like this oh. cry. <laughs> I was being quiet. Oh, <laughs> oh babe. Just, like, oh. This moment of like, how do we do this? I thought I knew exactly how I was going to teach my kids. But yeah, mm -hmm. wow, I had to stop and be like... It sounds like you were really, really mindful because something I was taught in um, something that's come up in sex ed trainings is like the shame that kids will grow when their parents react in a really reactionary, you know, negative way because they're embarrassed and they don't know how to handle it. Like with, you know, like what something you just described or a kid's maybe discovering like playing with their genitals or they pull their pants down in public or something like that. And so for the parent to be like, no, that's wrong. You don't do that. That's bad. You know, people will keep that feeling and that might be their initial exposure to, you know, pornography or something. And yeah, it just kind of snowballs 
from there if you don't have a parent who knows how to address it. And a lot of us don't, and I'm still learning. So I actually wrote a couple of articles about this. Um, there's a mostly it's for women um, website, confluencedaily.com. Oh, my dog is rummaging through the bottles. Can you not? <laughs> um, the old whiskey bottles my boyfriend's collecting. I don't know. What are you sniffing those for? <laughs> so it's, there's a piece on confluencedaily.com. Uh, our preteen daughter stumbled upon our porn. This was a question somebody asked me. So firstly, tell your kid that, you know, men and women, people have sex in ways that they decide feels good for them. And this might mean with their penises, mouths, stomach, armpits, there's no proper way to do it. Um, you can say that adults have been making images and recording themselves playing sexually for thousands of years. And there's art you know, to show this. Um, and, you know, I always land on with my kid, always, there's been a couple of times where this has come up too. One really similar to what you said, where I was actually, I was like, oh, go get that, the dog's leash out of the drawer. And I forgot that I had an old, again, from my porn shop days, um, gay sex DVD cover. And it was like face fuckers 12. So it's a bunch of dicks like going in guys mouths and they're like, ah, and she just kind of like, she saw it and like moved it out of the way. Cause it wasn't what she was looking for, but it was in clear view. And she didn't like, I don't even know if she like saw it or absorbed it. Um, but that prepped me for the next time when I started getting questions about stuff like this and and I'm really prepared to tell my kid, you know, like people do a lot of stuff that might confuse you or um, maybe make you uncomfortable. And that just means that you're a little young to understand it. Um, but also people do things for their own entertainment that don't make sense to mommy. Like some people I like to use the example, will just watch zip popping videos on YouTube for fun. <laughs> You know, or people have eating contests with like eating spicy food where they're like crying and their noses are running and then they vomit. That doesn't look like a good time to me either. So there's a lot of shocking media out there that's hard to put into context. Um, but I think the thing that I would come back to with the kid is, I'm sorry if that didn't make sense to you. Um, you know, people do a lot of things with their bodies that can look confusing, but ask me any questions and I'll try to find you the answer most people aren't going to know what to say, but saying like, I don't know yet, but I can find out mm. is really helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Rather than just dismissing it or trying to make up our own terrible answer to regret later. Yeah. That's so cute. It sounds like you handled it really well. It was I, you just know. really funny, but I was frozen in her mm -hmm. room, just staring at her with this magazine in her hand. And I was like, if I take it, I'm giving a really bad message. If I don't take it, I'm a terrible mother. <laughs> what You're going to be getting a call from daycare. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I mean, in a three-year-old, like they're so little, they're trying to give them a big explanation is going to be like, maybe more symbolic that it's a big deal. So just, I probably would have said something like, oh no, thank you. That's actually not for you. What else would you like to look at instead? Yeah. <laughs> I may actually have been like, if you really want to look at naked people, here's where did I come from? Yeah, <laughs> there you go. This will make more sense. And um, I probably got one eyebrow up like, yeah, right, mom. That's what I want to look yeah. at. <laughs> one of my friends, uh, I forget how old her son was, but young enough that she would have him in the shower with her, but old enough that he was going to daycare 
And so he went to daycare and told everybody that mom's penis had a mustache. So and cute. so, yeah, so she got called and she's just like, okay, number one, don't oh have a penis. God. Oh my God. <laughs> but number two, that's pretty ingenious about it having a mustache oh my god that's so cute there's another piece i i recommend that's um even better than the confluence daily piece um romper.com i wrote actually talking about porn with your kids is easy and crucial by l stanger that was a 2017 piece so there's a lot of resources in there if people want to look that up too ideas and suggestions and framing yeah kids are funny uh my daughter pointed out which nipple was longer when we were in the tub once and I was like thank you <laughs> what's that no, saying with eyebrows they're sisters not twins <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's so good thank you so, I didn't make it up but it's good as a mother and sex educator what do you think kids should learn in school in sex ed I know like I don't know if it's still I know they took it away for a while sex ed like up here in in Quebec but I'm pretty sure it's back but it's like this whole fear of what they should teach and what they shouldn't teach in school Mm -hmm. so the United States um does not have a federal mandate for teaching students K through 12 or any age, um, research-based, factually accurate sex education. Um, This was covered in a John Oliver bit a couple years ago about the, (laughs) the nature of sex ed in America and how totally inconsistent it is and how you have teachers that have no training in this but it's you know it's what the district can afford or whatever they're not going to bring on a sex educator for to work with a class for a whole year or multiple years so you have like the gym teacher teaching it Um, I had my math teacher teaching it and he did okay uh, as I reflect on it Um, (laughs) Washington State just passed a referendum 90 it was called in the last session um, in november where they now require k through 12 schools to offer factually accurate sex education so what this looks like um, from what i read is you ask like well what what would kindergarten sex education look like what i am going to think it probably looks like is um, talking about consent Um, different types of like nice touching and not nice touching, Um, maybe how to say no thank you. They might do some really basic anatomy like this is my butt, maybe this is my penis, these are my testicles. Um, They might do basic anatomy naming because it has been shown that Children who are able to identify and accurately label their own body parts are going to feel more empowered um, talking to someone if they are being touched in a way they don't like or molested or sexually abused. And also it can come down to things like the child being able to, if a child has to testify or like their statement is called on or used in a court where they're, they're talking about someone who molested them, it is much more helpful for the child to say, he touched my vagina instead of he touched my cookie. So it gives more empowerment tools to people in general when they can name their own parts and start talking about consent. Um, And I think they're probably just going to build on that. I think preteen and 
like junior high, middle school, they'll talk about partner violence, relationship violence, coercion, what that can look like, red flags of that, which would have been really useful for me at that age, honestly. And also, I think they're probably going to talk about identity, orientation. My daughter's class, I, she's in third grade. I sneaked a peek at their, they call it counseling class. They have it really regularly. And that's the one where if they address any of this, that's where they would do it instead of like math or science. Um, and I saw that they were going through explaining very basic orientation. Like, what does it mean to be a lesbian? What does it mean to be gay? Um And these are really, really like basic starter terms because a lot of kids who are eight or nine, they might start, they might, some kids have sexual attraction that they feel at that age. I was, I was feeling sexual attraction at that age, but a lot of kids are not. However, it's not uncommon for kids at that age to start building romantic attraction and feelings to their friends or peers. So it can give them better language to label as they get into puberty like, oh, my attraction is mostly to girls. Like maybe my orientation is lesbian. And we didn't have that stuff when we were kids either. It's not training your kids to be gay or sexually active. It's acknowledging that they're going to be faced with different types of conflicts and experiences and emotions that they won't be able to name or identify. And that's more confusing. Mm -hmm. So I think um, programs like this are still being built and determined and laid out. Um, And it's just really a new practice, you know, because for a long time, and even now, we didn't talk about this stuff at all. Like it was the sex that I got was, here's what a period is. Here's what an ejaculation is. Here's what an erection is. Here's how you get pregnant. Um, Here's how you can get STDs. They called them back in those days. Now we like to say STIs because if it's treatable, it's an infection like chlamydia or gonorrhea. If it's viral, it's not a disease. It's a virus you live with. So STIs is becoming preferred. So even like the language is changing, but we didn't have anything about um, personal identity, orientation, or how to identify coercion, partner violence. And those are the things that really, really create, you know, a lot of harm and kids not knowing what to look for, stuff like that. Yeah, that was like pretty much my from grade, I don't even know how old we were, probably in grade three or four when we started sex ed, but even all the way through high school and it would be divided. So the boys would go off with, like you said, the gym teacher. And it was like this big, like, what are they talking about? But then, yeah. they, you know, the boys were just like, oh, we're not going to tell you what we talked about. And so yeah. we never learned about that kind of stuff. Yeah. And like you said, it's like, oh, you're going to get your period. And then the nurse would come in and she'd be like, here's some samples of some pads and tampons. Take one. You know, it's just like. Thank you. Yeah, or watching like a really horrible video of a woman giving birth, you know, super zoomed in (laughs) where you're just like, oh, okay, so this is happening. No, you know, but let's not talk about anything else that, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really tricky. I understand why professionals don't want to talk about pleasure to kids because a lot of people are afraid of being accused of being like child abusers or child molesters, but kids feel pleasure. Kids seek pleasure out. They start doing it early. My kid wants to play wrestling games and like really kinky shit where I'm like, whoa, I didn't know kids, you know, like I haven't been a kid in a long time, but she's like, mommy, lick my eyeball or like, (laughs) mommy, lay on me, put all your weight on me, punch my butt. It feels good. And I'm just like, good for you on experiencing your body and your tactile. But I say no to some things. I'm like, I will spank your butt three times harder. Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, but, but like, really we start experimenting with what feels good. What am I experiencing my body? Who can I play with? Who can I wrestle with safely? Who can tickle me safely? And I'll trust to stop when I ask them to stop. We have a code word because she likes to play so many struggle games um, where she's like, tickle me, tickle me. And then I will. And she'll say, no, no, no. And then I'll stop. And she's like, well, I don't really want you to stop. And I said, okay, <laughs> I know this game. So, <laughs> we call it a safe word. So I said, okay, well, let's have a code word trying to distance it a little bit from safe word, you know, but let's have a code word, um, that you can say when you really want me to stop and let's practice it. So it comes to you naturally, you pick what it is so that you're more likely to remember it and use it. And, um, it was, oh God, I always forget. Cause we haven't done this in a little bit. I think it's poodle. Um, yeah, but that works really, really well having a code word with your kids, because then you can practice really showing them like what it is to play into pushing boundaries in a safe, secure environment. Um, I recommend it. Well, I like that. Yeah, I heard your, I, um, I listened to your podcast and I was like super sad when it was over. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Me too. But you had, you had spoken about that about mm -hmm. giving your daughter a code word and everything. And I thought that was, no, it was brilliant. Mm -hmm. Good, thank you. Yeah. Jen, you had a question, I interrupted you. Oh, I can't even remember. Okay, it was a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to touch on FOSTA, but hey, Meg? Yeah, if you wanna talk about FOSTA, and then I also wanted to talk about um, how working during the pandemic for you has changed and okay. what you've done uh, to, yeah. you know, how you got creative to. Ooh, that's, yeah, I'm still figuring that out. Let's talk about it. Okay, so thank you for bringing up FOSTA, SESTA, um, which were two American bills. Leave it to the Americans to fuck up shit for the rest of the world again. <laughs> um, I get messages from people around the world where they're like, my social media platform's not working because of American laws. And I'm like, oh yeah, because they're American owned companies. Sorry. Yeah. So what FOSTA-SESTA were, were two bills that were proposed in late 2017. They stand for Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act and Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act. Um, they were rolled into one. FOSTA-SESTA proposed that for the first time in the history of the internet, it would modify a section of document that dictates how the internet functions. It sounds really boring, but stick with me. So in the Communications Decency Act, uh, which was passed in 1996, this has governed how the internet functioned. It did for 22 years. What they did was carve out section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. And for the first time, platforms, so websites, social media apps, are now responsible, are liable for the content their users publish. So in theory, proponents of FOSTA-SESTA said this will make platforms and apps less likely to host pimps and traffickers and abusers um, because now they'll be more likely to pay a massive fine of up to $250,000 or go to prison for 10 to 20 years. Um, opponents of FOSTA-SESTA said do not pass this. What you're going to do is make it so that the platforms won't want to host anything that could be seen as morally or criminally, um, you know, morally negligent or criminally liable at all. 
Um, tech group said this, like the Electronic Frontier Foundation, um, longtime sex work, harm reduction um, organizations like the Woodhull Foundation or Coyote. They said, please don't pass this because what they knew was going to happen is exactly what did happen. Um, Backpage had removed its, um, Backpage had gone down. Backpage was a separate website. I'll actually, you might even want to cut that part because that's previous history that's also complicated. What happened when FOSTA SESTA passed, Craigslist removed their personal section where adults would go to meet each other because they know that yes, a lot of people use it for consensual adult interactions. However, any pimp or trafficker can go on there and use it as a communication tool as well. Keeping these boards up allowed for investigators to sometimes find people who were being trafficked, find pimps because they could use the paper trail. And it was a way for sex workers and queer people and people with disabilities or anxieties to otherwise connect and meet and fuck, okay? And if they happen to exchange money, um, that was also the case. So when Craigslist Personals removed that section, immediately sex workers who had been using it to find clients, connect with each other, they were out of an option. Um, queer and trans folks were out of an option because apps like Tinder and Bumble are not trans friendly. Even gay ones like Grindr can be very focused towards cis hetero men who trade dick pics and will treat a trans man like shit for not having a cock. So forums and websites and platforms are really helpful for communication. Um, what also happened is social media companies like Microsoft, Instagram, Tumblr, um, Facebook, which owns Instagram, they all said, well, we don't want to be sued or held liable for any, um, any solicitation or adult content related material that could be illegal or unethical. So let's just take it down. So this is why so many people are having their profiles deleted and deactivated for no reason other than being a sex entertainer, sex worker, queer person who could be deemed as soliciting. Um, it's been a big old mess. And FOSTA-SESTA passed so easily and sailed through um, Congress and everything so easily because nobody wanted to say no to bills that were called fight online sex trafficking. Nobody wanted to be perceived as like a pervert or someone who wouldn't want to fight trafficking. We all want to fight trafficking, especially the people who live and work in sexually relevant industries. We, we know how this happens. So a lot of providers and clients immediately couldn't communicate. Um, so a lot of providers were broke, out of work, lost money, lost their online platform. I've been deactivated from Instagram three times on a couple different accounts with no warning. Um, I no longer can link to my educational materials if there is like stripper, you know, or sex in the name. There's sex education schools and programs and meetups that can't advertise through Google AdSense anymore because they get flagged for being sexually relevant. One of the opponents to FOSTA SESTA in the review of it, his name is Ron Wyden. He is a uh, senator from Oregon. He's a Democrat. He was one of the only dissenting opinions on the final vote. Him and then a conservative libertarian man um, out of Kentucky. Ron Wyden said that the passage of these bills would hamstring innovation and it would make trafficking harder because now you have people focused on removing consensual adult content 
instead of focusing those resources on people who actually need intervention and help. Um, pimps did not mind because networks of men who abuse women and children tend to know each other and keep in contact. Hello, Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, so pimps loved it because now the providers couldn't communicate themselves. So they started contacting providers and saying, I know you need help right now. I can get you a gig. I can get you a job, but you know, I'm getting a portion of your money. Um, advocacy organizations that originally said, don't pass this. They report that they're, um, received reports and clients who were coming in who were more likely to be attacked or stolen from or just broke because they couldn't find work. If they were going out to do work and do less desirable jobs because they needed the money, they're more likely to get hurt. So San Francisco police said that trafficking numbers increased 170% after FOSTA passed in the first year. And people bipartisan across the country patted themselves on the back uh, a year after FOSTA and SESTA came out. And the same people who proposed FOSTA SESTA in the first place, like um, Ann Wagner, she's a conservative. Uh, I don't remember if she's a representative or a senator. She's a conservative lady who proposed the bill, but um, they claimed that trafficking numbers were down and that was not the case. Um, but a lot of people don't know how to research this stuff and they're not on the ground level doing the work. So how would they know? Mm -hmm. There was a brief call to review the impacts of FOSTA-SESTA uh, by a California representative named Ro Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A. You can tweet him. Um, but he said, you know, why don't we do a National Institute of Health study on the impacts and really find out if this has been beneficial because otherwise, why the fuck did we do it? Um, and, then, and then COVID happened. So the review never happened. Yeah. Right. So where we're at now is um, a lot more people are just struggling, just struggling to find clients, struggling to advertise. This impacts anybody who uses social media because I have clients that say, well, how can I find like somebody who is willing to touch me, you know, for money? And I say, gosh, you know, it's getting harder and harder. Let me see if I can refer some you to someone. Um, but I have to have them email me because I can't talk about any of this in my DMs because Instagram does look. Microsoft, when FOSTA SESTA passed, Microsoft changed their terms of service and said that they were going to start regularly spying on Skype conversations of their users to screen for nudity or obscenity to make sure that nobody's, I don't know, webcamming or something. But how would you know who's in a couple or relationship just immediately at a glance? What about long distance couples? What about soldiers, you know? Yeah. Especially now too, in addition, like you just mentioned COVID. Like COVID, right? You know, when, when COVID happened and sex educators were like, it's okay, you can have digital sex. Like this is an option. And I'm like, they don't know about FOSTA. So many people don't. You could have digital sex until you lose your Skype account because you get busted, you know? Or like, yeah, sure, try doing that on Facebook Messenger until a moderator or some kind of crawler like figures out what you're doing and you lose your account and you don't know why. So mm -hmm. a lot of people have lost their accounts. They're like, why did I do that? Or like, why did that happen? Where's my account? Well, maybe you jokingly commented send nude somewhere and you got flagged for solicitation. It's crazy. Yeah. So everybody can help by doing a web search for, quote, why is FOSTA-SESTA bad? You'll find 
a slew of articles and feedback from a ton of great resources. And then you can literally contact almost any of your senators or representatives because almost all of them supported FOSTA-SESTA. And you can say, hey, I hear this is impacting people in a really bad way. Um, can you review it? Can you ask for a review or can we repeal it? So hashtag repeal FOSTA-SESTA. Your second question, um, yeah. Megan, I think you asked how I'm trying to make do in the pandemic. Yeah. So most of my money, (laughs) most of my money for 11 years came from stripping three nights a week um, at a regular club. I've worked at seven clubs around Portland, um, but I had a home base for a long time. And oh man, did that come to a screeching halt? I remember still walking up the steps on, it was like mid-March. It was a Sunday night. So I feel like it was right before the shutdown. It might've been like the 14th or the 15th of March. But um, one of the other strippers was like, how long is this supposed to go for? And I said, oh, they said two to four weeks. (laughs) As I sit record this, it's been 10 months. (laughs) The clubs opened briefly for two months in, I think it was like July. July. Yeah. Yeah. July. I, I jumped in. I did one shift a week at a different club with a lower risk um, factor for, uh, eight shifts, you know, so eight weeks, one shift a week, and then they close again in November. So I'm getting rusty what I'm doing otherwise. So luckily, because I have a big social media following that I've been building for years, and also I've been following FOSTA SESA. So I'm so far able to navigate some of these restrictions. Okay. Um, I have been doing webcam shows, I have been making custom pole dance videos or sex videos with my live-in boyfriend. Thank goodness I have like uh, someone I can work with, you know, (laughs) I don't have to do a bunch of testing uh, for COVID or STIs or otherwise. Um, I have been making, yeah, solo masturbation clips. Um, One guy wanted a clip of me stepping on, uh, first he asked for bugs and I said, what about something not alive? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He was like, I love this. People are so specific. Sometimes he's like, do you have any brand new Vans sneakers that you could wear and step on bugs? And I was like, could you buy me some new sneakers and I will step on something else? And he was like, do you smoke cigarettes? I said, I smoke joint. Okay. So I'll step on a bunch of joints. So he sent me 60 bucks to buy some shoes. And then I asked for like a little bit more for the video. I think it was like 40. So a hundred dollars in total. My takeaway is new shoes and $40, right? (laughs) Which fine. That's fine. I'm not rolling in dough. You know, I was out in my cold garage, like setting up, trying to make it not look like a garage with the ring light and sweeping and like hiding all this shit. And yelling at my boyfriend I'm like no I need from the knees down (laughs) trying to help me film it um so I've just been doing odd shit like that I I use a sexting app so I sext it costs them like a dollar or something to send me a message a couple bucks to send me a picture cost them a couple bucks to see a photo that I send I have some really nice um just chatty joking talk about politics clients that once in a while send like a butt pic and then I'll get a random phone call um, and do phone sex. And that can be really wild. Um, so it's work, you know, it's really tough out there right now for a lot of people. And again, the only reason I'm getting any orders is some folks have been following me for years. So they already know about me, but trying to enter right now would be a really, really stressful endeavor, but yeah, sex work is work, you know, and anybody who's done it probably knows. And anyone who's thinking about it, brace yourself. (laughs) (laughs) 
I know someone who had a client who was Orthodox Hasidic, uh, who used to just, she just had to lay next to him and let him like pet her hair. So I was trying to think while you were talking right now, I'm like, how would she do that virtually just to be like, here, look at it. (laughs) Also, you can watch me touch my hair. Do the Hasidic (laughs) Jewish women cover their hair? They shave it all off. They shave off all their hair. Really? Oh, I wonder if that was part of his kink. When they're getting married, they have to, I think it's right after they get married, they shave Mm. off all their hair. Yeah, that's why. So he didn't even want sex. He just wanted to touch her hair. Wow, that's Mm. glorious. Yeah, so an hour just laying there, letting some guy play with her hair. Oh, her hair must have smelled so bad after that. People's (laughs) hands, you know, like the finger oil. (laughs) People touching my hair wigs me out. I Oh my God, at the club. Sometimes people just like pat you on the head, which is really rude in the first place. But I remember like the DJ would be like, oh God, Elle's going to pop off because someone just touched my head. <laughs> Never mind. I'm like rolling around on a dirty floor and all this and I have to wash it anyway. But if someone like does that to my hair, it's like. <laughs> this reminds so- me of one of the uh, episodes of your podcast, Strange Bed Follows. Um, you guys were talking about songs that shouldn't be stripped to or ones that made you cringe yeah or like ones where you're just like why why is this happening yeah do you want to share a few of those oh just- yeah the police's um don't stand so close to me that one always makes me laugh I've only heard that like twice in the club um anything with a lot of like children like laughing or talking oh god in the background um there's that there's that old you know bless her soul um r.i.p Aaliyah song that i can't remember which one it is but that like tell me are you somebody there's like a baby there's a a baby like in the back of it like every eight seconds for a while (laughs) and i'm like giving a dance because it's not my song you know i didn't pick this i'm like giving a dance and i'm like fucking i can hear a baby (laughs) Yeah, I try to listen to songs to be like, is there a long pause or like someone screaming or (laughs) farting in the middle? I don't know. (laughs) Thank you for mentioning Strange Bedfellows. Um, Yeah, we wrapped that podcast March 2020. So um, really at a good time for the pandemic to kick off and for it to screw up everybody's lives. But the episodes are all still very timely and relevant if anybody wants to check those out. I like to think of it, it was kind of like a self-care self-work, accountability, politics, sexuality podcast. And it was stuff that we as a host got to learn and change our language throughout too. So thank you for podcasting is what I'm saying. It gives <laughs> everybody a chance to kind of reflect, I think. Yeah. Even when we're oh, laughing. I'd be listening to it at work and my gr- I'd start laughing because some of the things you guys were saying, it was like, great. And she'd be like, it's that sex podcast again. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, it I'm like, it's great. And then I'm like, did you know... <laughs> yeah fun little party party conversation starters right thank you for listening so l do you think that creative people are generally a little bit bonkers is my question i am looking for an article that i just sent my old co-host john and i can't find it but it basically said that scientists are now finding a link between uh mental health and creative output in individuals there's um I'm looking, oof, man, I wish I could find this right now. I will send it to you if I can find it after. But 
I feel like, I mean, obviously everyone's brain works differently, but I've identified some things in myself that have caused so much instability to what I would consider a normal life, um, but have also shown themselves to be great tools that I can harness. Like some of my best writing articles that went viral and my editors loved, I wrote in an utter manic spell, like sweating, pacing, crying, had to get the shit out. Whew. And it felt good, you know, after, and I definitely was the kid like sitting up staring at the walls or like trying to sew my clothes or draw on the floor in high school and being like, I know this isn't normal. Like I need to go to sleep. I'm going to feel like shit tomorrow and repeat the cycle. Um, and when I was, uh, I was a facilitator for, uh, some therapy groups for about a year, year, uh, for sex workers of different backgrounds, genders work. And we were talking about, um, before I go any further, I'll say, obviously, I never talk about um, confidential stuff or clients or whatever, but this I can talk about. But the therapist who led the group, the counselor therapist, I don't, she's a therapist. She said, how do we like talk about reframing, you know, stories we've told ourselves or, or things we have come to believe or things other people told us. Let's, let's do some reframing. We're really big on that. And so my reframing practice was, it just kind of came to me. I thought like, man, I really wish I could control my brain sometimes and the way it functions, but like, damn, my brain has made some really amazing work. And so I wrote down and I wish I could remember it verbatim because it was so important to me, but like my wild brain does some really cool shit sometimes. So, um, yeah, I would not have like the, the, the small yet growing career that I have, I wouldn't have other fans or followers or friends who like have heard shit I've proposed and they're like, wow, there's something to this, you know? So being someone who I think is unconventional in some ways allows you a different point of view to look at social issues and yourself and stuff you'd engaged in and like, well, why is this the norm? You know, like what, what is the problem? There's a problem here. Let's find it. How do we fix this? How do we attack it? So I, I don't know. And my boyfriend, he says that, um, you know, like making art is the only way he can really justify having mental illnesses or depression. He's like, because if I can't make art, then all of this is utterly pointless. But if I can make something, well, at least something good came out of it, <laughs> my suffering. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think there's a link. Well, we just have one more question. Um, we always ask all our guests what in the last week or two that you've done creatively and if you've done anything crazy or it could be a mashup, which is usually the case for us. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I am a really big fan of talking to the birds and some people think that's crazy, but I'm trying to build a relationship with the birds in my yard because I want them to come around. Um, and also I reflect on this, but, uh, in the midsummer when I was just really like feeling under the stress, the compounding stress and anxiety of like Trump and election and COVID and, and protests and black lives matter stuff and infighting in the communities, I found a bunch of old beer cans, um, like full beer, but like expired beer. It was from an event. I never used them. I don't, I don't drink. Um, at this time. And so I just like, I'm like, I know what would feel good. And I was like, Hey bird, come on. I want to watch something. This is fun. You can do this if you want. And I took all the cans and I just 
started throwing them as hard as I could into the middle of the street. Cause I wanted to see them explode and squirt and like shoot off little fountains and like roll and spray and create designs on the ground. And my, my boyfriend was like, the fuck are you doing? Like, <laughs> are gonna be He's like, really? I'm like, I'll hose it off. It's not hitting anything. Like sometimes you just want to smash shit. You know, um, I have fantasized about, and maybe this exists somewhere. Maybe it'll exist someday. I imagine the insurance wouldn't be very expensive, but wouldn't it be cool if you could just like go to a place and just like break a bunch of bottles and destroy shit and do that and then leave. They have that. There's places that you can go where it's like, you can smash a car, like windows. You have like all different things. You can pick up an ax, you can pick up a crowbar and stuff. And it's just like, it's like an anger, like get your anger out. Good. Good. All right. See, there's a need. There's a need for that. (laughs) Um, So that's my, that's some of my, um, my more, I guess, like crazy stuff, Um, (laughs) which like really, when we talk about it and you probably know this, it's, it's like crazy. It's such a a silly word anyway, because anything that deviates from like what's considered normal could be crazy. So it depends what, what is normal. Um, creative. I, gosh, there's like a lot of things, but I'm trying to think of what's more relevant. Um, creative. (laughs) So I walk my neighborhood a lot and I found what looked like at first a pothole. And then I got down on my hands and knees and realized like, oh shit, this is a sinkhole. This is really bad. This is dangerous. Somebody's tires going to get stuck in it. Oh my God, the street could collapse. How far down does this go? So again, I said a boyfriend and I'm like chicken little, or I'm like, the sky is falling. You know? I'm like something else is happening, but I'm like, babe, there's a hole in the street. I'm calling the city. And, um, you know, like we're at like peak Karen hating right now. I will say I've never like sent food back. I don't complain to managers, but I'll call the city if I see something dangerous. So I'm like, I'm calling the city. He's like, what is the point? They're not going to deal with it anyway. It's not that bad. I'm like, did you fucking look at it? So me and my, (laughs) my daughter, I was like, bird, get your chalk crayon stuff. We're going to make big rainbow circles around this. So everyone can see it in the meantime. Nice. They're out in the street. Thank you. Looking for cars. It's the same street where I was throwing the cans, actually. <laughs> Should have just shoved them all down there. Um, <laughs> but so we're like making big circles and I'm just like looking around. I'm like, my neighbor is much, they think I'm the kookiest because I'm always like just walking around in like piles of black clothing and taking pictures of the flowers and getting down and looking at shit on the ground. <laughs> and um, nature is very soothing for me. So I called the city. They were there in less than five minutes. The worker dude looks at it and the first thing he says is, oh, fuck. (laughs) So I'm feeling validated. He takes a shovel, like a regular ass five foot long shovel, sticks it from the handle all the way down. He's holding on to the actual blade and it disappears under the road all the way down. I took a video of it because it was so eerie. I'm like, how far down does that go? Like, is it the clown living in there? (laughs) Massive, scary. Um, and they filled it and they filled it like immediately. And it was like a legitimate, serious problem. And I went back to my boyfriend and, and he's great. He doesn't have a lot of the like jealousy and like, um, misogyny shit that a lot of male people do, but I still, I was like, validate me, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) like I know I'm neurotic and I, I see issues with a lot of shit and a lot of shit like irks me or like chewing. I have to put music on. I'm very sensitive. Same. Same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, it was just really validating to be like, sometimes the crazy neurotic lady, like looking at shit on the ground is right. So I felt like that's part of my creative and my crazy, the drawing, the circles made me think creative. (laughs) 
thank you for asking this has been so much fun this has been so much fun thank you for sharing this yeah good questions megan do you have a crazy creative or one or the other or both um it's definitely mashed together i talked to you about my doctor's appointment with new medication and stuff with for my mental health and pandemic fun um that i've gained weight so my doctor's like you need to you know exercise more because i don't dance anymore um mm. i did swing dancing in the city twice two to three times a week mm. so i'm like okay let's get active so i'm like oh one of my girlfriends um with the uh, diamond denver dolls in um colorado obviously mm. denver. um <laughs> they have a dance class a virtual dance class so i was like i'll sign up to that mm. i'll do another one so it's like disco and then one of the girls is also does a k-pop uh mm. cardio k cardio so i was like oh wow. i'll do that on saturdays so i'll i'm like i have my tuesday nights with the dolls i have my saturday afternoon with melissa for the k-pop mm -hmm. and then one of my other girlfriends is like oh i really want to try something i'm like oh whether well, i found this k-pop dance class on uh wednesday nights let's do that and then I don't, we were supposed to go to Japan and that got canceled. And then I found an online virtual hike challenge for Mount Fuji. So it, you're supposed to take the 74 kilometer challenge within a certain amount of time. Whoa. So yeah, so I have um, two dance classes, an exercise class and a virtual walk thing. So, That's awesome. so all or nothing. Going all or nothing. You. you know me by now, Jen, it's all or nothing. Good for you. Wow. Jen? Um, my, I guess just, uh, yeah, is it's creative. It's crazy. I don't know what it is, but, um, Megan, as you know, I launched my other, my nutrition podcast last week, I think. And, um, I already felt like it was a endeavor to record and edit and publish it. And I'd given myself like a really ridiculous deadline, but then I also had the genius idea that I would also do it by video so that the video could be up if people wanted to watch it with a human mm -hmm. face because I'm mostly solo. I don't, I'm not, I don't have a ton of guests that I'm going to have on the show. So I thought, you know, they could see me and mm -hmm. I could grab content from it. It just seemed brilliant. Um, and so, yeah, I was just going to real quick, like take an hour out of my day to do that. And, uh, <laughs> real quick. <laughs> it's like the whole day. The I, I crawled back upstairs like 10 hours later, like, oh, I think it might be okay. I don't know. I was like so disconnected because it was the first, I know each one will, will go smoother, but like even just getting the lighting right for video and everything was just, mm -hmm. so yeah. And then I just sent it to my daughter and was like do I look like a waxy clown and I can't I have no perspective anymore does this make sense are people gonna watch this and go why is she telling us this what is this but anyway she she's really good at being honest with me and she just go back and she was like no I think it's great good job and I was like okay because I've completely lost perspective that will happen mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. but it was fun it was good 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 what's the name of the podcast uh sweet vegan spills the tea cool i'll tell john about it john my old podcast host vegan mm -hmm. it's like it's not only for you know it's not only for vegan people mm -hmm. but it's mostly focused on nutrition in general it's just that i happen to be vegan and specialize in plant-based health mm -hmm. and nutrition i see your book in the back becoming vegan yes <laughs> i can see that i don't have my glasses on <laughs> i'm like what is that that's cool so it's like nutrition through a vegan's lens yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. 
Well, thank you so, so, so much, Elle. This has been really fun. Been Good. Great. This has been really fun for me, too. Thank you, Jen and Megan. So and... where can um, our listeners find you if you want to share that? Yeah, thank you for asking. My pretty new refurbished website is <laughs> stripperwriter.com. You can also go there by typing my name, L Stanger. A lot of people have trouble with my name, though. Um, you can find me still on Instagram at stripperwriter. I am on Twitter at L Stanger. And you can probably figure out the spelling if you listen to this podcast, because it's probably in the description. It's all going to be in the show notes. Yep. All going to be there. So find me, please. Thank you so much, Elle, for coming. Mm-hmm. Thank was- you so much. It was so Let- nice meeting you. It was really nice meeting you both. Um, Megan, thanks for listening to the show. Okay, take care. Bye, Bye. Thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us out. It makes us more visible to other people who don't know that we're out there, and it makes our community that much bigger, which is great. If you would like more detailed show notes, you can go to our website, we'recrazycreative.com. And if you want to leave us a voicemail, which would be super fun and cool, you can go to anchor.fm slash we'recrazycreative. We'd love to hear from you. And maybe we'll even play your message on one of our upcoming episodes. Speaking of hearing from you, you can also follow us on Instagram at we'recrazycreativepodcast. You can find me on Instagram at Jennifer June Chapman. And on my website, jenniferjunechapman.com. For all things vegan, I'm on Instagram, underscore sweetvegan underscore, and on the World Wide Web at sweetvegan.net. How about you, Megan? You can find me on Instagram at author.m.redmile or on Facebook, author Megan Redmile. And you can visit my website at meganredmile.com. And you can also find my books on Amazon. So anybody out there listening, Jen approves masturbation. Just don't do it at the lunch table. No, unless it's your own lunch table at your house. Exactly.